Well, good morning. Um, so good to, to see you. And for those of you who are still with us by live stream, I'm glad that you're a part of this time this morning with us as it's kind of a, a new day for us in that we are beginning our services back like we had in the past, except for with lots of differences. And that is that we're wearing masks in motion when you're moving around. We ask you to wear them. We ask for people to wear them in this building. And uh, we are seeking to um, come along what um, we are in our own uh, state is asked of us as guidelines. And so I appreciate how, again, I say this again and again in our church because I know this isn't the case in many churches, but we have been able to um, do this without... Um, all kinds of problem or difficulty. Uh, I just thank you for your graciousness in in doing that. Um, I want to continue in this series that we've been looking at, and they really are in some ways um, as we move into Acts here in the next week. But it's we needed the background of Luke and what it means that when Luke said there were some things that stood out in in in, in his eyewitness accounts, because again Luke didn't himself walk with Jesus. He went back and he had. Uh, as like a journalist, testimony after testimony of testimony of the things that stood out. And one of the things that you see in the Gospel of Luke and also in the early church in Acts, uh, where the ministry of Jesus continues, is that people flocked to him. They felt welcomed. And, and not only did they feel welcomed, they didn't have to pretend. They didn't uh, in any way feel like they had to be perfect. They, in fact, came with very vulnerably with their illnesses and and issues and things that were necessary for someone to deal with, and they did it without any sense of, um, like, they just knew they were safe before Jesus. And we've kind of looked at a couple of those. Today we're going to talk about anything's possible. Because I have to share with you, when you, when you come to someone and they can listen to you and understand and all those things, um, it's wonderful. That's a great gift. But if you were to go to a marriage counselor, you were to go to a financial counselor, if you were to go to a legal counselor, and you sat and you shared with them all kinds of things, and, and they lovingly welcomed you, they recognized that you had issues and problems to deal with, but they couldn't give you anything to help you move towards a better place, it wouldn't be really the reason you're there. And so also people came to Jesus, and the reason they came is not only were they welcome, they didn't, you know, it, nobody's perfect, it, it's okay, and they could admit it, and they knew that Jesus had the power to make a difference in their situation. So what I want you to do is to think about for a second, what seems impossible to you right now maybe in your life? Are you facing something that from your perspective... It just seems impossible. It may be a very tough situation that you're facing at work. It could be a marriage conflict that you have faced again and again and again. And you're at a place where you've done all you can do. It could be that you're before an impossible conversation. You just know it's one of those incredibly difficult, you just don't see any way forward. It could be that you are in an impossible, tough health predicament. And you've had this, and you're continually saying, you know, God, I need you. 
I need this truth that anything's possible. It could be an issue that you just don't know how to resolve. It could be a decision that's before you. It could be a promise from God that you've been waiting for him to fulfill. And he at one point gave you his word, his promise, and you look at it now and humanly, from your standpoint, the way you look at it, you just go, I, I, don't, I don't see any way we're going to get through this. People came to Jesus because they knew they were welcomed. They felt safe. They didn't need to pretend. But they also knew that Jesus had the ability to do something about it. And as you look at the scriptures, um, in Luke specifically, it begins right away with that acknowledgement. If you look at Luke chapter 1, verses 34 through 38, an angel comes to, to Mary, and Mary is told that she's going to have this child that has been promised. And at one point, she doesn't get how it can happen because she's a virgin. And she says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is already in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Nothing in some of the versions, it says, with God, nothing's impossible, or all things are possible. And I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may your word be fulfilled, and then the angel left her. As you go on through the study of Luke, you go to chapter 4, verse 14, and I'm just going to pull out a couple of these before we get into the heart of this message, but I want you to just see how Luke builds this this understanding. It says that Jesus was um, baptized and his father said, well done, good, and you know, just this is my son, I love you. And then immediately it says the spirit in, in, the, in the gospel of Mark actually drove him into this time of temptation and testing. And he went through this hard, difficult testing before Satan. And as he comes out of this time of testing, which is often the case when you go through testing, you're in a place now where, this, where God can fill you for what he wants to do. It says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about him spread everywhere through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues. And everyone praised him. And then it goes on and it says he went to Nazareth, back to his hometown, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Jesus was very much in every Saturday in that day, Sabbath, if you want to put it, every Sunday um, attender of the Sabbath, as was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. This is his first message in his public ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. I, I want you to understand. To, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase real quickly here. To do what you in your own strength and wisdom can't do. And then he gives you what it is to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, those who just can't, they can't get out of their situation. Recovery of sight for the blind, those who, who are in a place where they can't only physically not see, but who also, you just can't see the decision the way before you. To set free the oppressed. You may be living with anxiety because of a situation or whatever has happened in your own heart and life that, that Jesus can heal. And as we claim the year of the Lord's favor, his acceptance, his grace is here. It's 
available. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, today, this moment, as you heard this, it's, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And you can continue on. It's evidence throughout his ministry. Just a chapter later, chapter 5, verse 17, says that one day Jesus was teaching their Pharisees and teachers of the law. They were sitting there. And they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. So this was becoming quickly a widespread uh, ministry. And it says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Go one chapter later, verse six, chapter 6, verse 19. It says a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and even from the seacoast of, of, of Tyre and from Sidon, they were coming to hear Jesus. And it says this, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him, healing them all. Because they knew that anything is possible. With God. No matter what's in your situation right now, whatever you're facing in your life, or what you will be facing maybe this week, whatever you might think is impossible, it's possible for God. So what I want to talk about is the three, what I call re's, in this idea of anything's possible that are very important if you're going to experience this power of God, whether it is through wisdom that he gives you, or it is even through a a power encounter in some way over something in your life, whether it is God giving you ways and means to move into your own marriage that brings more intimacy, or in a work situation where God is at work, whatever it might be. The very first re is repent, and then we will talk about reimagine, and the last I want to talk about is reset. And the word repent is found throughout the Gospels. In fact, if you read the Gospels, Jesus would often come and he would say to people, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is a very, very important topic. It is said throughout Luke and he also, it's found throughout Acts. The kingdom of God is basically the divine rule of God in, in this world and in the life of anyone who's willing in faith to participate with God. And so he says, um, repent. And it's not a word that I think we often truly understand well. It's, it's become religious and in, in such a way that people have concepts of it that I don't think are always the best. It doesn't actually explain what the word in the Greek means, what, what people in, in Jesus' day heard. Um, Garrison Keeler, I think, does a very good job in his book called Leaving Home, um, some of you remember from the Prairie Home Companion, he has his comment on it because a lot of times people think it's just about feeling sorry or sad or feeling bad. And so he writes, Larry the sad boy was there who was saved 12 years in the Lutheran church, an all-time record. Between 1953 and 1961, he threw himself weeping and contrite on God's throne of grace on 12 separate occasions. And this is in a Lutheran church that wasn't evangelical. Had no altar call, no organist playing just as in without a plea. While a choir hummed and a guy with shiny hair took hold of your heartstrings and played you like a cheap guitar. This is the Lutheran church, not a bunch of hillbillies. These are Scandinavians. And they repent in the same way that they sin, discreetly, tastefully, 
and at the proper time, and they bring a jello salad afterwards. Larry Sorensen, he says, came forward weeping buckets and crumbled up at the communion rail. And to the amazement of the minister who had delivered a dry sermon about stewardship and, and now had to put his arm around this limp, soggy individual and pray with him and see if he had a ride home. Twelve times. Even we fundamentalists got tired of him. Granted, we're born in original sin and are worthless and vile, but twelve conversions is too many. God didn't mean for us, and catch these words, for us to feel guilt all of our lives. We have conceptions about what it means to repent, and to repent in the sense that, you know, usually we say it means you get emotional and you get sad. It's it's this experience that you have, and and you have to feel really bad, and and, and some people believe that you, you, you repent, and as you repent, it's just you live this with this sense of guilt throughout your life. That's not repentance. That's not what the biblical um, definition is. In the Greek word, to repent means. The Greek word is made up of two words. It's the words meta and it's the word nous. And, and the word nous means the mind, to think. And the word meta means after or beyond. So if you put those two verbs, those two words together, the, the New Testament Greek word meta naeo, which is what often is this verb or this word that's used, literally means to think again or beyond. Now, it will come with sadness when you begin to reflect and think about maybe something you have done that has caused great pain in, in someone you love's life. It may come with sadness in some ways because you recognize the course you've been on has left a devastation, not only in the lives of others, but even in your own. And it may come with a sense of weeping. But the word primarily is about your mind. It's about thinking. It's about looking at what is going on and, and recognizing the way, the path, the thoughts, the, the, the desires of your heart are moving in such a way that they've created a mess or they can't get past or can't get to what your heart might most long for. Dallas Willard says it's a very reasonable response. It means to recognize and admit that you are um, going the wrong way. And he says you need to rethink your strategy for living. So like if you had a business plan and it's just you had it all together and you put the sales and the marketing and all the different things in place, you're, you're making sure the products get out in line and you keep doing it and you're not budging the market at all, what you do is you repent you go, well, that's a weird thing. You don't get all sad, and all, but you, you repent. What you do is you rethink the strategy that you've been employing because it's not getting what you want. And so when Jesus stood up before people, he said, I want you to think with your mind. I want you to reevaluate. You could use that word. I want you to reexamine what you are going after. And I want you to think beyond or again. And place your mind on what God wants and what he may have for you. I want you to repent. It's an act of humility of the mind and the heart that recognizes you've been heading in the wrong direction, which is a very difficult thing for a lot of guys who are drivers to do, right? You're driving along and you say, I know exactly where I'm going. And someone next to you, someone called maybe your spouse, is saying, um, could we rethink this? 
It's that kind of sense. It's a call to think again beyond your current course. And it may be, listen to this, it may be a dramatic, emotional, one-time event, or it could be a few. You could go, like some have, as as you're growing up, you've gone to camp and, and you realize you've been off course, and that could happen a few times. But it is even more than just a few times. It really means to live with an attitude of repentance, an attitude that is constantly going as you go through your day. You know what? I just recognized the thoughts I've been thinking The way I've been going in this particular situation calls for me to repent, to rethink, to stop in the direction I'm heading and say, God, I need your direction and your way. And so it could be a dramatic emotional thing, but it really is more a lifestyle, not a feeling, but an awareness that often my thoughts are not God's thoughts and my ways are often not God's ways. And so Jesus has come. The very first part, if you want to see anything possible, God, moving in your situation, is to repent and to live not just to doing it once, but it's an attitude that says, God, I'm off course. I realize right now I'm off course. And I want you to flood your thoughts your heart into my situation right here. So I've asked Andrea to come up because I want us to think about it this way. I want you to reimagine your life with Jesus leading it completely, always. What does that mean to live in a sense of repentance, but then to live in a sense where you reimagine and use your mind, because this is what this word means, to use your mind to think beyond again. So Andrea, you um, have kind of were moved by God at one point around this whole idea of to reimagine. So you want to share with us come your thoughts on what does it mean to reimagine in a in a attitude of repentance. So I was watching a documentary and it was on the life of Walt Disney. And Walt Disney decided as he was playing at a park with his two daughters and just the daughters were playing at the playground, and he was sitting on the bench watching her play. And he was like, you know, there's got to be a way for parents and kids to be together in this thing and enjoying time together without just kids playing on the playground and parents watching. And it was kind of the birth of Walt Disney World. And he started to rethink, what could that look like? for parents and kids to be able to play together in a safe place that was super creative, that uh, was very clean, uh, family-friendly, good morals, that kind of thing. And as they got into it, they realized that he had to pair very creative people with engineers, people who could actually make it happen. Because they were trying to create something that had never been before. They were doing the impossible Mm -hmm. and needed to be able to rethink. And it was going to take both of those sides. So he actually coined the term Imagineers. So it was the people with creative imagination with the engineers. And they had a team called Imagineers. And sometimes people call them solutionaries. But again, it's stopping the way we've always thought. Like... Okay, here's a playground. What what could something else look like that would be more uh, 
more interactive for families. So I titled this message Imagineers and Solutioneers because I think that's what God has called us to be in all walks of life. Um, what does that look like? So what does that, what does that look like? That's a nice illustration up there, but let's talk yeah. about what does it mean for us in, in our walk with Christ. Yeah. So in James 1, uh, 5 and 6, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask a God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So God's wisdom is actually available to us, right? And that's, and again, it's saying, God, I don't know how to fix this situation, but I know you do. So God, I need your thoughts, not my thoughts. And uh, one example is we did a house remodel a number of years ago, and I really wanted to hang a small mirror in a bathroom using barn door hardware, because that's kind of the thing right now, right? Well, they make barn door hardware uh, large enough to hold a big door, and it's actually too wide to fit on a mirror in a bathroom. I just kind of wanted the look of it. I didn't need this big, huge uh, set of barn door hardware. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just get small barn door hardware. So I started looking in the stores. I looked online. I looked. There was no such thing as small barn door hardware. And I'm like, well, this is crazy. Like, my husband works in manufacturing, and we figured out a way to, uh, you know, kind of makeshift put this pulley with this bar and be able to mount this mirror and I had been praying uh, for a number of years, God, for an idea. I wanted an idea to um, be able to create something that I could sell at some point, kind of a home business kind of a thing. And after I created this small barn or hardware for this bathroom, I sensed in my spirit God saying, so if it took you six months to, f- to figure out how to put these parts together and collect them all and make barn- small barn or hardware, do you think other people might want small barn door hardware. So it was actually a way to uh, start a new small business, and I actually started creating and selling small barn door hardware. Now, actually, Menards stole the idea, so to speak. I'm sure it wasn't only my idea, but now they sell small barn door hardware. So anyway, it was just I just felt like God was helping me see uh, in a way that I hadn't seen before how this could work. Right. Well, I... I was, um, I have a number of illustrations and I'd like to share some of those. I know we've got a lot, but one of the, one of them that I just shared with a guy who has been a part of our church, Joe and Mary King, you know them with King Technologies, and he had shared with me once about a time when they were working on a product and, and they, they, they just couldn't make it happen and they continued to, um, push into this. And he said from a human standpoint, um, it was impossible. He worked with his PhDs. He worked with other people in other um, business-like businesses, and said, "This can't happen. It's not going to happen." And uh, and he just said in his heart, he said, "God, I I just I think if we if this if we could do this and make this product, it would cause because it was like swimming pools and hot tubs and things. I say it would just really make a difference. It could revolutionize kind of market." And and, uh, and so he got his PhD, one of the guys who was a Jewish guy, and he just sat down with him and said, you know what, we just need to rethink this. And we need to call upon God to give us his wisdom. And with this Jewish friend of his who's PhD, they prayed, and his Jewish friend was kind of moved by that and said he went home. He said he was slept on it and over a couple different nights. One night he woke up in the middle of the night and he had this just whole formula, this whole thing in his head. Came back in, and it just transformed their business. 
I had a situation with my uncle, and I'm using business ones here, but who him, he, he is a, owns Bailey Lumber Company up in Buffalo, New York, and when he was early in his years, he was doing this thing all on his own. He came to a point, he said, just God, I just want to repent. I, this is your business, not mine. I want to rethink how I've been approaching this whole thing. He turned his whole thoughts differently, and as a result of that, um, God began to bless, and I could share more about that. It's not the idea that every time we come against something that all of a sudden you can expect some kind of profit or something like that. It's the idea you're letting God begin to move into your situation, whether it's a marriage situation, whether it's a, a decision you have to make. And, and there are some times that there are other people who don't participate, so it makes it difficult to move into some of these things. But the point is, Whose mind are you thinking and, and calling upon to think beyond is this idea of repentance. It is the sense of my sin or my, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, and God, I want this attitude as I reimagine what it means for you to step into my life. I don't know if you had anything else that you wanted to share around that or you want to share a little bit more what that means in reimagining. So I wanted to look at First uh, Corinthians Um, chapter 9, verses 6 through 10. It says, We, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, no what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So just like the cross didn't make any sense to the world about what Jesus was going to accomplish for us on the cross, they would have never crucified Jesus the enemy would have never caused that to happen if he'd have known what was going to happen after that. That's the wisdom of God. And because we're his children, we have access to his wisdom. Those things that the world might think are nothing, they, don't, they wouldn't understand. Um, even our own minds, right? We might think, well, that doesn't make any sense. But if we submit ourselves and ask for God's thoughts and trust, that he's leading us. That's his wisdom. And that what, that's what we continually can ask for. And there's a, a teaching about uh, something called neural pathways. And as we think the same thoughts over and over and over again, we create neural pathways in our brains. And it's kind of like a marble going through butter. So if, if our thoughts are constantly uh, thoughts of worry or thoughts of that's impossible, or I have no solution for that. If we're allowing those thoughts to continually uh, kind of ruminate in our mind, we're creating neural pathways that actually continue those thoughts. But like in Philippians 4, God says, keep our minds on these things. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If we're keeping our mind on those things and if we're asking 
for God to give us his wisdom and his revelation, we're creating new neural pathways. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to take those places in our mind that have been negative and form new pathways into the true, noble wisdom of God. So if you're up against something that just seems impossible, right? You've got whatever you've got in your mind. One of the things, as you reimagine, is to put your mind on the word of God. And one of the things the word of God says is there's hope. We are not people of despair. One of the things the word of God says is he is true. Uh, In all these things, you begin to just say, God, I want to continually reapply. What I find in my in my my own self and just be really vulnerably clear with you um, I I have such an ingrained sense of I have to make it happen that's like a a, a, a burned out it's like a another way to look at it is is you know if you walk around the grass when we were kids we used to walk around the grass and we'd play baseball and we actually because we played baseball so much we made a diamond just by our running around it like those paths and all of a sudden there's no grass growing there and, and from my mind, where it's like that, it's like, I always have to, I gotta figure it out. But if, if I could just figure this out. And, and what I've learned lately, I remember one time I was in a prayer time with some people, and they just said, what is the Lord saying to you? And I was just listening, and in, in my mind it was, you know, you've gotta participate with God, He'll do it. I was listening in my spirit, in my heart, I heard very clearly, but softly, I've heard the Spirit of God say, I want you to watch. That was such a huge change for me. He, he didn't say, I want you to figure it out. I, I, you know, participate with me as I do this. It was, I just want you to watch. It was almost a sense of, you will be seeing. As you follow me and you walk with me, it's not about you figuring it out. It's about me through you figuring it out. And, and so that's that idea of you put your mind on these things that you know are true. You speak out with your mouth the things that you know are true because what you say has an impact on not just yourself but the world around you. Um, I don't know if you want to continue on. That's yeah, rough just, course. I went a different direction no, than okay. you had put in here. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and one way to think about it is uh, when there's a situation that we're in and we're trying to figure it out with our, you know, with our own mind. And God's given us our mind, right, to be able to figure things out. Uh, and sometimes something will come against us, and we're trying to figure out, you know, sometimes there's spiritual warfare, right? And so a good way to think about it is uh, first heaven, second heaven, and third heaven. So first heaven is kind of where we're at, right? Like, this is where we live, and this is how we figure things out with our mind, and and sometimes we can do that. And so it's this realm. It's like so in, in scripture, realm. so often when it talks about the heavens, it says they look to the heavens. Often they're saying they looked up at the skies or things like that. So it's, it's this realm of the natural. Right. So, it, you know, the problem might be in this realm. And we're just trying to figure it out. But like in Ephesians 6, where it talks about... Uh, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So that might be considered second heaven, where that's where the spiritual warfare takes place. That's where if sometimes you know, like, gosh, i just feeling so oppressed um, by the enemy. That's like a second heaven situation where we need to put on the full armor of God and fight that. Um, but it, the scripture also talks about third heaven, um, 
In 2 Corinthians 12, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And it talks about Jesus seated seated in heavenly places, that we are seated with him. So that we consider like third heaven, right? Because there's no spiritual warfare where Jesus it's, it's is. It's before the throne of God. Before the throne of God. And those that's where we're going to get the solutions to those problems that we can't face here, that we can't figure out, right? Yeah, well, we're, a- we're asking for heavenly revelation. People are like, well, I, I can't hear God. Well, if you are a believer, if, if, you, if you know Jesus, you already have had third heaven revelation because we come to the Father through him, right? So there's... We have to trust. Yeah, Jesus calls us, speaks to our heart in our situation, and we respond to his, in faith, to the gift and to the reality of who he is. It's kind of a funny thing in Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. It shows just like this place, you know, where, where God's throne is and where we live in this earthly realm. And I spend so much of my time through my own efforts trying to figure it out. And, and yes, there's a warfare, and I'll be praying, and sometimes I'm going, God, I'm just not getting anything. In Daniel 10, there's this interesting passage where it says, just then a hand touched me, this is Daniel praying, and he, and he lifted me up, still trembling, to my hands and knees. And, and then said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully to what I have to say to you. See, he's trying to figure out how do we get the people from Babylon back to Jerusalem and get the temple built. It's what is in his heart. And he says, listen to it. I'm going to have to say, stand up now, for I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up still trembling. I think, okay, that's interesting. And then it adds this interesting thought. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray, for understanding to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. So you need to know this. As some of you, the moment you've prayed, just because you don't have an answer, it's not because God isn't answering. There's, we don't know all the reasons why might God be, he may have you wait, but listen to this. It says, I have come and answered your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit of the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this is a spiritual reality. This is not talking about the physical prince. Blocked my way, and then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Asia, kind of like, thank you very much, Michael, I'm on my way to Daniel. And I left him with that prince, and now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Part of it when God says to me to watch is for me to stay in a place going, you know what, I've prayed, I'm going to continue to keep my awareness, but I know that my prayer has gone to that place in the throne of God, that third heaven, and I don't know what could be happening, but I do know sometimes there's spiritual warfare, sometimes God is doing something in my character, in my life. My job right then is to wait and continue to watch for God to work these things out. And so to repent is to constantly keep a spirit of repentance of I need to constantly rethink and reexamine and say, God, are my thoughts your thoughts? Are my ways your thoughts and ways? And then as you do that, to say, God, I am going to allow my imagination to be filled with your word, with what you have to say that is true, and I'm going to walk this thing out, whatever it is, however impossible it may seem, knowing that you call me to be hopeful, to base what is happening on the truth, and to plant myself in your word, and yet also to be alive in my own spirit and his spirit to what he's doing. So those are 
some thoughts around that. So I just want to conclude by just saying um, one of the things then that you are doing is you're saying to God in whatever situation it is, and it may be that one of the things that God is saying, if you're in a marriage situation, it continues to be the same thing. He might be saying and giving you those thoughts that says, get into someone who is a counselor that can help you move through this, who, who can give you some maybe new ways, divine wisdom from God. Uh, there are ways that God works that we need then to be obedient too. But to reset is this idea of where you come before the Lord and you just say, God, I'm, I've done this work of repenting and, and I'm reimagining and saying, what does it mean to have you lead me through all this through your mind? And now there's, it's kind of that realignment takes place and now you're saying, okay, God, now reset what you need to reset. Do what you need to do. You are at work behind the scenes getting things ready to do that. I've been saying often as a church, and so I'm going to apply this to the church here with these few moments that we have left. Um, I've been saying often that we possibly are in a chaotic time where we're in a pause for a purpose. And in this time, we have been called upon as a nation and as people to repent, to say, God, our ways haven't been your ways. Our thoughts haven't been your thoughts. We have been called upon, I believe, as a church to repent. Our ways haven't been your ways. Our thoughts haven't been your thoughts. But God, we want you because we know the way that we've been doing things in the past are not possibly going to impact the future the way it should. So we're reimagining with your word and by your Holy Spirit to do something. And that is that we're not going to come out of here and do what's normal. We're intentionally saying, God, reset us, realign us to your purposes and your ways and how you want to do that. And you may be doing that in your individual life. You may be thinking about that in your work situation. You may be thinking about that in your own marriage. This is an opportunity to stop and to pause and to live this attitude of repentance, this attitude of reimagining with his word and in his spirit so that God can reset things. We're doing that as a church. So one of the things I want to just share with you as a church when we talk about reset is what we're going to be doing over the next number of months. And so if you've got that, if you could show that, I would like to just share with you what this process has been looking like uh, so that you kind of get the picture. Oh, this is what's going on. Um, Thank you, there we are. Uh, From June through September, we've been saying, like we said last week, we want to say a clear assessment an examination of where we're at. Because you can't get from here to there, wherever you want to go, um, through this situation without just a good assessment. So we did a congregational survey in June. The results of the surveys we brought to the staff and elders in May, July, August. And we brought last Sunday. If you haven't heard the message last Sunday, I encourage you, I ask you as a church family to, to listen to that. We had the results through, um, through Nancy Moore, our consultant shared with what you said back in June. Now you're going to say, so where do we go from here? This is what we're planning to do from October through January. This will be a time of re- what I call repentance and reimagining, where we are going to come before the Lord and listen to him and to one another as a church body so that we can begin to say, God, where's there? What are you leading us to as we intentionally reset who we are and where you want to take us. And that will be done with focus groups and with the consultant in October and November. There will be 
um, we're going to be populating the calendar so you can see it for opportunities for you to come and to pray or to zoom in and pray. We're going to figure out how to do this together, but we want to listen to God and one another. Then we said Christmas, just enjoy it, you know, December. And then in January, we're going to go into that time of prayer and fasting, like we have done in the past. It may not be like a three-day or a week fast. We may talk about like, what is 21 days of fasting. Not that you don't need anything for 21 days, but we'll figure out what this looks like, okay? Then as we get into that, we're going to move into February, where I would love to be able to say, from what we've listened to God and listened to you, through both God and what you have heard, we want to say, here's there. Here's where God is now leading us. This is where God is directing us. And then March through May, we kind of want to map that out and with the elders and staff and along with the rest of the congregation so that as we move into fall, we can kind of say we're going there. We're on our way. This is what God is calling us to do. So I just wanted to share that with you. I've shared that with our elders and our staff as we've kind of been working through this whole process because we really want to take full advantage of this pause so that God can repurpose us. Because one of our deepest goals is, as we have said, is to imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve this West Metro in the name of Jesus. And the way that Jesus served was he led people into encounters of of salvation, growth, um, calling people to walk with him. We would love to see what, we'd love to see hearts turn to God in ways we've never seen it before. And so that's what our prayer is. That's what we're asking the Lord to do. And so I'm going to ask you to take a moment. And in your own heart right now, I'm going to ask you just to pray. We're going to move into a time of communion. And as uh, as Taylor said, when we began the service, we want to say now, thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you for how you have provided um, grace and forgiveness and life on our behalf. And so we are going to take this meal together. Um, those of you who are on live stream, um, you can do that at home in whatever way you'd want. But we're going to just going to close the service in the next few minutes. And then as a church family here, um, we will take communion together. Let's pray. Father, I pray um, that through this experience that we have been going through that I really believe has meant to cause great fear, to cause discouragement, in many cases despair. We stand with you in this and we just say, Jesus, forgive us for thoughts that are not your thoughts, for ways that are not your ways. We repent. And we ask that you, Lord Jesus, would fill us now with your mind and with your heart and with the purposes you have. That you might realign our mind and we might imagine in ways things that we could never conceive on our own. Ways of doing ministry. Ways of sharing our faith. Ways of being able to to really penetrate into the world that we have influence in. So that your spirit would spread throughout our communities, our city, our land, in this world. We ask that you would reset us for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. We can do this because of the cross. And as we do this together, it's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, for giving his body and for giving his blood. And part of giving his body was for our healing, to heal us totally and completely, whether that's emotional healing or physical healing. Uh, is your fear, does your spirit feel crushed? Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. And Jesus' blood totally redeemed us. There's nothing that we've ever done that can separate us from God. His blood covers it all. Everything. 1 Peter 1. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. During this next song, we invite you to come forward and grab the elements. They're together now in one single cup. The juice is underneath the wafer. There is gluten-free bread for those who need it. If you're in the balcony, they're in the hall up there on a small table outside the door. But during the song, uh, come down and take the elements back to your seat. And then after we uh, listen to the song, we'll take the elements together. Shelby will lead us. But just take this time to consider uh, what Jesus has done so that everything is possible.